Hello, this is Caleb down at the Lawrence County Public Library. It is Monday, March 27th, 2023, and this is the 12th episode of the Lawrence County Public Library Genealogy Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about a famous house here in Lawrence County that you can't see anymore. It is now the Riverview Memorial Garden Cemetery on US 23. This house was known as the Doc Burgess House, owned by Dr. Francis Elam Burgess, and formerly the Jared House. I'll also be talking a little bit about Dr. Burgess himself, the history of the Jared House and the people who built it, and I'll be closing out with some poetry, as weird as that sounds. Let's get into it. On page 220 of the Lawrence County History book, is Article T-183, The Jared Burgess House. The Jared Burgess House, referred to by local historian as the most commodious stone house in the Sandy Valley, along with the burial vault and chapel, is now listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The Stone House Inn is located off of US-23 near the Lavaza Fork. The front of the house has five bays with openings widely spaced. Great masses of stone are left bare, both on either side of the central floor on the front and the ends of the main block, which have no windows at all. The low sloped roof, lowering just over the second story windows, is reinforced by the broad one story porch across the entire front. Low square chimneys mark the end walls, beyond which extend deep unbracketed eaves. Ulysses and David W. Jared's parents, David and Jenny, bought the property in 1820 on which the sons built the house. David and Jenny built a log cabin on the Lavaza Fork property and there raised their children. About 1835, David Jared built a Greek revival burial vault, the first stone vault in the Big Sandy region. The burial vault could be seen two miles up and down the river and was used as a landmark by steamboat captains. David Jared transported four-foot-wide sections of native-cut stone across the creeks and up steep hillsides for the burial vault. The entrance, facing east, is of Vermont marble, which was shipped to Kentucky from New Orleans by boat up the Mississippi, by push boat up the Big Sandy, and ox team up the hill. The marker for the burial vault arrived with the family name misspelled, originally spelled G-A-R-R-E-T-T. Correcting the spelling would have entailed too much time, money, and effort, so the misspelling was left as it was. Ulysses adopted the new spelling, and thereafter the family went by the name Jared, G-A-R-R-E-D. David Jared died about 1845. Later, the Jared brothers divided the farm and property. Ulysses took the stone house and surrounding lands, and the younger David took the adjacent property to the south. Ulysses was elected to the state legislature in 1848 and in 1873. The Jared Burgess House later served as a hotel. According to William Eli in the Big Sandy Valley, the hotel was second to no other hostelry in the valley. David W. Jared donated nearby land about 1870, along with materials and labor for the construction of a chapel to be used by the Methodists. The present owner of the house is Dr. Francis Burgess. This article is part of a story that was in the Big Sandy News on December 23, 1975. An article in the Big Sandy News dated Wednesday, May 16, 2012, on the front page is as follows. Up in flames. After a report from structural engineers and permission from the National Historic Registry, 
the home formerly recognized as Jared Burgess Farm, was demolished last week. During demolition, while the contractor was burning wood and brush, the fire spread over to the back of the home, unintentionally catching the roof on fire. Accidental fire starts during raising of historic home. This is by Lily Adkins, associate editor of The Big Sandy. Historic property in Lawrence County, known as the Jared Burgess Home, which is listed on the National Register of Historic Places, was demolished after irreparable damage from the March 2nd tornado, but there are plans to preserve as much of the history as possible given the circumstances. The property, now owned by James H. Booth, was originally set to be renovated, but plans changed after the March 2nd tornado struck the home. After obtaining a report from structural engineers regarding the safety of the home, it was recommended that the structure be demolished. The Big Sandy News obtained a copy of the report, completed by Triad Engineering, which points out that the house, constructed in the 1830s, suffered significant damage from the storm. A large portion of the roof is detached and the remaining metal roof is in poor condition, the report says. Another storm with significant wind would cause uplifting forces on the remaining roof, causing increased damage and a possible hazard for traffic along US-23. In addition, the existing roof does not appear to be in a condition to withstand snow loads common for the area. Large cracks were observed in the exterior stone walls. Such cracks in a thick stone exterior wall are indications of different settlement of the structure foundation. The report says the interior of the structure was in extremely poor condition and the walls showed significant cracking. Rotten joists were also observed, the report said. In the report, Lee McCoy Jr., Triad Engineering's civil engineer manager for the Southwest region, says it is almost certain the structure will eventually collapse if no action is taken restoration should not be considered a viable option. A first step at an attempt would require removing the deteriorated structure. At this point, there would be nothing remaining of the structure to restore. Our recommendation is that the structure be demolished. The stones from the walls could be reused for future construction. Craig Priest, spokesman for Booth, said in an email after the tornado went through the property, the storm completely flattened the barn behind the home and nearly destroyed the farmhouse. We realized the damage that occurred and obtained a structural engineer to review the farmhouse and advise us as to the safety of the home in its current state, but they advised that the home was not structurally sound and needed to be demolished, Priest said. We sent the report to the Heritage Council and asked their permission regarding the demolition, and they agreed it was fine to remove the home. Priest also said that during the demolition, the contractor was burning some of the old wood and brush and the fire spread over to the back of the home, catching the roof on fire. He said that it hadn't been the intention that the house be burned. We had contacted Louisa Historical Groups and had planned to give them any items we could salvage from the home since it was listed on the National Historic Register, and they agreed to accept the mantle and front columns of the home as part of the history of that area, Priest said. We had several ideas to try and retain the old home place, but after the storm passed through, there just wasn't much left of the structure that was salvageable. We were able to salvage the front column posts. Hopefully we'll recover the mantle and supports and still donate that to the Lawrence County Historical Society. Current plans include turning the property into a cemetery and priests confirmed that some of the stones from the old home would be used to create an entrance to the cemetery, preserving as much of the history of the home place as can be. Page 368 of the Lawrence County History 
has an article titled Burgess, Dr. Francis E. Article F-158. It is a brief uh, family tree of Dr. Burgess. George Revel and Emily Lane Johns Burgess. George Revel was born November 26, 1806 at Floyd County, Kentucky. Died April 2, 1873. He married Emily Lane Johns about 1832. She was born June 3, 1812 and died April 21, 1884. Thomas Jefferson Burgess was their son. Thomas Jefferson Burgess was born September 27, 1834 in Lawrence County and died February 20, 1900. He married Onolda Zeta Jared on May 31, 1866. She was the daughter of David Jared and Nancy Woolwright Dreyer. Onolda was born January 23, 1851 in Lawrence County, Kentucky and died January 29, 1930. Malcolm L. Burgess was their son. Malcolm L. Burgess was born 1867 in Lawrence County, Kentucky and died in 1936. He married Victoria Elam. She was born in 1875 in Lawrence County, Kentucky to Matthew Elam and Emily Botner. She died in 1966. Francis Elam Burgess is their son. Dr. Francis E. Burgess was born May 11, 1914. He had a varied and interesting life as physician, surgeon, poet, and songwriter. After graduating from the University of Kentucky, he attended the University of Louisville School of Medicine, receiving a Doctor of Medicine degree. He served one year internship at Akron City Hospital in Akron, Ohio, and studied postgraduate surgery at Cook County Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. He entered private practice in 1939 at Martin General Hospital in Martin, Kentucky. He also served on the staff of Paintsville Clinic in Paintsville, Prestonsburg General Hospital in Prestonsburg, and the Riverview Hospital in Louisa. Dr. Burgess served with the U.S. Navy from 1943 to 46, serving as medical officer aboard the destroyer USS Lindsay during the U.S. invasion of Iwo Jima and Okinawa in World War II. While engaged in the invasion of Okinawa, his ship was cut in two by a pair of Japanese kamikaze bombers. Sixty-two of the 300 on board were killed and scores were wounded. Dr. Burgess himself was wounded and was awarded the Purple Heart Medal. After returning home from the Navy, he set up private practice in his home. Dr. Burgess retired from medicine in 1951. He still resides in the Stone House located on US 23 in Louisa, Kentucky that was built by his family around 1850. It's a historical landmark registered with the Kentucky Historical Society and also with the National Registry of Historical Places. Dr. Burgess is still writing poetry and songs that reflect the genuineness, compassion, and perceptibility of this unique man. Most of this information was taken from Echoes from the Highlands, Complete Works of Francis Elam Burgess, M.D. And this article was by Beulah Lamaster Green. This next part comes from the National Register of Historic Places. It's the inventory and nomination form from 1975 for the uh, Jared Burgess house. The application number was 75000790. The Jared Burgess house is located on a farm on bottom land lying between the Lavaza Fork, which runs to the rear of the property, and the hills to the north. Highway 23, which is 1,351 feet from the front of the house, divides the property. 
36.7 acres in 1975. The house is two-story of sandstone. The individual stones are of irregular size and shape, with some being extraordinarily large for such use. The front of the house had only five bays, but the openings are very widely spaced. Great masses of stone are left bare, both on either side of the central door on the front and at the ends of the main block, which have no windows at all. The low stooped roof, lowering just over the second story openings, is reinforced by the later broad one-story porch across the entire front. Low square chimneys with emphatic collars mark the end walls, beyond which extend deep unbracketed eaves. There is a modern enclosed porch attached to the left northeast side of the house and a kitchen L to the rear. A gallery runs along the second story of the L, which contains rooms formerly used as quarters for slaves. There is a large central hall with a large stone fireplace mantle in the right south parlor and a stone fireplace with a wood mantle on the left room. A garage lies to the rear of the house with a well house in between. A smokehouse constructed of wide poplar boards put together with pegs is a few feet from the left side of the house. Approximately 400 feet northeast of the house is a barn of mid-19th century construction. The interior is distinguished by two large continuous sleeper beams, approximately 70 to 75 feet in length running on either end. Exterior boards are 28 inches to 30 inches wide of yellow poplar. A stone burial vault is located on top of the hill across the highway from the house with the entrance of Vermont marble facing east. The vault has a monumental quality surpassing in such a simple structure. A very low gable facing forward over the slightly recessed inscribed plaque evokes both a primitive Doric temple front and a barbaric sarcophagus. The facture consists of large, evenly laid stones. Plasters and an entablature are just hinted at by the minimal recession of the plane around the plaque. All this massive stone seems almost to have become embedded of its own weight in the side of the hill facing the house and the river as a kind of permanent memento mori. The date of 1836 places it just in the groundswell of the Greek revival in Kentucky. Tradition calls it the first stone burial vault in Lawrence County and perhaps in eastern Kentucky. It is also recorded that the main portion of the vault was built of native stone, quarried by slaves with stonemasons named Christian and Travis as overseers. To the south of the house, 2,150 feet away, is a small brick chapel with a family cemetery between it and the highway. The north end of the building contains the entrance. The east and west sides are three-bayed with the brick arches over the windows serving as a form of hood mold. No glass remains in the windows. The following is an article written by Kentucky historian Marlita H. Perkins titled Jared Burgess House, and this is featured on the Lawrence County Landmarks Roots webpage, dated December 1, 2009. The Jared Burgess House, called by a local historian the most commodious stone house in the Sandy Valley, was built by the prosperous Jared family, typical of those eastern Kentucky settlers fortunate enough to secure in this mountainous area rich bottom land on which to locate their farm. The Jareds also serve as an example of those few more wealthy farmers in the region who owned slaves. Although never large in number, the slave-owning element did serve to divide the community during the period of the Civil War. 
As early as 1789, immigrants began to come to Sandy and settle in the valley from those Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and the Carolinas states. They knew that mountains and hills and streams would impede their progress. It dismayed them not, for most of them had, from near or far, looked upon the craggy peaks of the Allegheny, the Blue Ridge, or Cumberland Mountains. There was a small community of approximately 200 persons in Louisa when David Jarrett and his wife Jenny first arrived in the area from Monroe County, Virginia, around 1820. The population was racially mixed, as was that of the county. In 1850, the period in which Jarrett House was constructed, the number of slaves listed in Lawrence County was 137, compared to 6,142 whites. Jarrett's bought the property on the banks of the Lavaza Fork and there built a log house where they were to raise their family. Before his death, David Jared carefully chose the spot where he wished to be buried, high on a ridge overlooking his farm. The vault containing his remains and those of his wife was perhaps more difficult to assemble than his log house. Four foot wide sections of native cut stone were transported across the creeks, hauled up the steep hillside and put in place. The entrance, facing east, is of Vermont marble which was shipped to Kentucky from New Orleans by boat up the Mississippi by push boat up the Big Sandy, and ox team up the hill. It was the first stone vault in the Big Sandy Valley and could be seen two miles up and down the river. Steamboat captains used it as a landmark. It is also a monument of the Greek Revival. The stone arrived with the family name misspelled, originally spelled Jarrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T. -T. Correcting the spelling would have entailed too much time, money, and effort, and so the inscription was left as it was. David Jared's son, Ulysses, adopted this new spelling, and therefore the family went by the name Jared, G-A-R-R-E-D. After the death of David Jared about 1845, his sons Ulysses and David W. lived on with their mother in the log house. In time, they built the stone house on or near the site of the older dwelling. According to family tradition, the extant smokehouse dates to the period of the log residence. The attractive structure, built by slave labor, was of native sandstone, brought by ox team from a quarry site one mile away. The two Jared brothers later divided the farm and property, with Ulysses getting the stone house and surrounding lands, and David W. taking the adjacent property to the south. Ulysses Jared, according to William Eli, has been ranked as one of the foremost citizens of this section and a model farmer and trader. He was elected to the state legislature in 1848, again served from 1873 to 1875, and filled many other offices of note in this county, always with satisfaction to the people. The stone residence built by the Jarrods was later to function as a hotel and maintained a reputation during the late 19th century, second to no other holstery in the valley. Before the outbreak of the Civil War, David W. Jared built himself a two-story frame house close to his brother's house. Some years later, about 1870, he donated land nearby, materials, and labor for the construction of a Methodist church. The chapel very likely suited the small congregation well, unpretentious yet dignified as it is. Eastern Kentucky produced few stone houses. Most modest dwellings of log or frame, many of which are visible today, were more common. The Jared Burgess house is a rarity, therefore, as is the survival of the complex, barn, smokehouse, related chapel, and burial vault. 
the references for Marlita's article are Collins, Lewis, and Richard Collins. The article is titled Collins Historical Sketches of Kentucky, Volume 2 out of Louisville in 1874. She also cited William Ellsley Collinley's and E.M. Coulter's History of Kentucky, Volume 1, dated 1922. In 1990, uh, Dr. Burgess published a book, Echoes from the Highlands. It's the complete works of Francis Elam Burchett, M.D. This is a collection of the poetry he wrote over the years. The dedication is as follows. This book is dedicated to a faithful friend, my beloved Anne P. Mallory, my dear mother, Victoria Elam Burgess, who taught me the way I should go, and to my Heavenly Father, who blessed me with any talent reflected in these poems. James A. Hayes was the pastor of the Louisa Freewell Baptist Church at the time, and he wrote the foreword to Dr. Burgess's book of poetry. This book contains the complete works of Dr. Francis Elam Burgess, physician, surgeon, songwriter, and poet. Route 1, Louisa, Kentucky, 41230. Dr. Burgess was born May 11, 1914, to Malcolm Lee and Victoria Elam Burgess. After graduating from the University of Kentucky, he attended the University of Louisville School of Medicine, receiving a Doctor of Medicine degree. He served one-year internship at Akron City Hospital, Akron, Ohio, and studied postgraduate surgery at Cook County Hospital, Chicago, Illinois. He entered private practice in 1939 at Martin General Hospital in Martin, Kentucky. He also served on the staff of Paintsville Clinic, Paintsville, Kentucky, Prestonsburg General Hospital, Prestonsburg, Kentucky, and the Riverview Hospital, Louisa, Kentucky. Dr. Burgess served with the U.S. Navy from 1943 to 1946, serving as medical officer aboard the destroyer USS Lindsay during the U.S. invasion of Iwo Jima and Okinawa in World War II. While engaged in the invasion of Okinawa, his ship was cut in two by a pair of Japanese kamikaze bombers. Sixty-two of the 300 on board were killed and scores were wounded. Dr. Burgess himself was wounded and was awarded the Purple Heart Medal. After returning home from the Navy, he set up private practice in his home. The picture on the front cover of this book is an artist's sketch by James I. Cheek of his home, which is still standing and where he resides. It was built in 1850 and is registered as a historical landmark with the Kentucky Historical Society and also with the National Registry of Historical Places. In 1951, Dr. Burgess retired from medicine. These poems were composed while going about his regular routines on the farm, which is dear to his heart. The poems reflect the sterling character, genuineness, compassion, and perceptibility of this unique man who has contributed so much to the highlands of eastern Kentucky, his native home. I thought it might be nice to change things up a bit and finish the episode out with something different, some of Dr. Burgess's poetry. This poem is titled, Only You, and it's on page 63 of his book. For you I'm thankful, darling dear, each new day throughout the year. Every new day of every season, I'm thankful for a different reason. My thankfulness is nothing new. I've always loved only you.
The next poem is titled Showboat, and it's on page 165. I remember a majestic lady, an echo from the past. Her name was Cotton Blossom, in memory to always last. To go aboard was 15 cents, but I saw and heard a lot. Her kind of entertainment I haven't yet forgot. And the Calliope playing sweet Georgia Brown for all to come to see the show when she came to town. Yes, I remember a majestic lady, an echo from the past. Her name was Cotton Blossom, in memory to always last. I'm wondering if the Cotton Blossom was one of the steamboats that traveled up and down the river uh, where Dr. Burgess's house used to be located. It's not too far from the river, so I'm wondering if it's one that he saw or heard go by. The next poem is The Old Russet Apple Tree, and it's on page 231. The lonely old russet apple tree, in memory I still plainly see. Its branches loaded down to the ground, with apple savory, succulent, and sound. Unlike the biblical fig tree of old, this old tree was never barren, I'm told, but bore apples like unburnished gold that would lie on the ground till the winter cold. I leered the yellow jacket, hornet, and honeybee as I gathered the apples under the old russet tree. Apples to make apple butter and pie, and breakfast treats my mother would fry. I'm sure in memory I'll always see the lonely old russet apple tree. The last poem I'm going to read is about one of my favorite creatures on the planet. It's titled A Slick Tail Possum on page 257. I'm guessing Dr. Elam pronounced the word fool as foo because the rhyming scheme is a little weird when he uses the word fool, but I'll read it as written. A slick tail possum is nobody's fool for it only plays possum, and that is quite true. I caught one in the act of taking food from my cat, and it looked a lot like a big fat rat. I'm sure my cat felt awfully blue, for it had wait until the possum got through. And it waited and waited, which was all it could do, while the possum kept eating and grinning like a fool. I felt sorry for my cat, so all cowed down, by a slick-tailed possum out prowling around. And that's all I've got. Hopefully me reading some poetry didn't put you to sleep. If you have any questions, if you have any ideas for the podcast, if you or somebody you know would like to be interviewed for the podcast, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm here at the library Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Uh, number here at the library is 606-638-4497. Or feel free to shoot me an email, caleb at lcplky.org. Until the next episode... Have a good one.